turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. It is uh, so good to see uh, Emery and Sharon Place here today. And uh, we know they're here. For one thing, we saw them and we were able to talk with them, but also to hear their laugh. I, I hear his, uh, Emery's laugh. I have missed that so much. Uh, and that there are just certain things that I have got to have in the service for it to be completely filled so that I feel like it's been a good Sunday. One of them is Emery's laugh and the other is Jordan's hiccup. Other than that, I, I, you know, we're good. I'm, I'm teasing with that. Uh, but uh, anyway, we're just so glad they could be here. So glad that uh, some of the issues that he's been facing, the Lord has just brought him through that, and we're so thankful for that. Last week we began a series on the distinctives of Grace Bible Church. At the beginning of each year, I kind of like to go through and kind of, I don't, I don't know what the word is, examine, analyze the ministry that we have as we start the new year. Because many times in doing that, it helps us to realize what our purpose and our goal and our desires are, or more, more importantly, what God's desires are for us so that we can fulfill what He would have us to fulfill. And so last week we began talking about the distinctives of our church. And we talked about the first distinctive, and that is that of biblical authority. Talked about how that what we believe and what we practice comes from God's Word as it's rightly divided. And so we understand that as important as that is, biblical authority, that there are also other distinctives that we need to look at and examine today. The question is, what distinguishes churches and denominations? Now we talked about last week the fact that we are non-denominational in the sense that we are not a part of any hierarchy. There is no group that is over Grace Bible Church, and we're going to talk about that today. That's kind of our theme today. But we talk about how that each, uh, each church has its distinctives, its doctrine, its belief. Some churches are affiliated or members of a denomination. That is a group of churches that have come together and there is an organization that they are all part of. That organization basically tells them what to do and how to run their ministry. We're not a part of that. We are independent. Now, we talked about our theology and the fact that a lot of people ask us, well, at Grace Bible Church, what, what are you? What are you? Are you Methodist? Are you a Presbyterian? Are you just strictly non-denominational? And usually what they mean is what do we believe? There's not a lot of people that have asked me like they care what organization we're a part of. It's more of what do you believe? And we talked about how that we believe certain doctrine, certain distinctions. And we talked about essentially that we are non-denominational in our practice, in our position, but we are Baptist in our theology. Now I use that term Baptist not in the denominational sense because unlike most denominations, Methodist, Presbyterian, or even Catholic, the denomination or the group is affiliated or matches up to a certain belief. Baptist theology is not like that. There are Baptist churches that are denominational, and there are Baptist, doctrinally, churches that are non-denominational, where we fall into. So the question is, why is the Baptist? What's that about? And first of all, as I mentioned last week, it's not the term Baptist that we're excited about. It's the Bible that we're excited about. And in that, we believe that certain distinctions come from the Bible, and these have historically been called Baptist distinctives that we hold to. We're not a, per se, Baptist, certainly not denominational church, but we are theologically in line with those distinctives and those doctrines. So we began the first distinction last week of biblical authority. This week we want to talk about this, the autonomy of the local church. The autonomy of the local church. If you will take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter five, and if you'll or chapter four rather, and if you'll stand with me, I'm going to read verses fifteen and sixteen as we stand together. Ephesians chapter four, verse fifteen. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what? It, but, but what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the truth that You give us today. 
I pray, Lord, that as we study Your Word, that we will go away believing and knowing that the things that make our church and our ministry distinctive from others is that Your Word proclaims the very things that we agree with, the very things that we teach, the very things that we teach and believe and are, and are uh, convicted of. Lord, I pray that if there are those here that today that have never heard the Gospel, have never been saved, that today would be their day of salvation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The first thing in understanding the autonomy of the local church is what that means. Now the word, I'm sorry, I got a piece of ice in my mouth. The word autonomy is the idea, namos is the idea of law, and auto is self. And so it's the idea of self-governing. And as a church, Grace Bible Church governs its own affairs. We do not have a hierarchy. We do not have a denomination. We do not have uh, an institution of any kind above this local body. We believe that the local body was formed by Christ, is founded on Christ, and will continue to serve Christ in its existence. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't partner with other ministries. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, get with other churches of like faith so that we can send out missionaries, uh, so that we can uh, be, encourage each other and be accountable to each other. There, that, that, that's a little different thing than being a part of a denomination. That's, that's a lot of times called fellowship or association. But it's not where this organization comes in and says, now you need to be doing this or you're not doing this and we're going to have to do this and, and, and all of that. There are many churches that, that function just that way. But the way our church functions is understanding that we are under Christ and Christ alone. We see that in verse 15 where it, it ends that verse by saying, who is the head? Christ. Talking about the church. Talking about the local body. Now, when we look, and I've shared this with you before, we look at and study the church in the Bible, there's a sense in which we talk of the church as every believer. Everyone that has accepted Christ has been baptized by the Spirit into one body. And we understand that, that that is, in a sense, that body of Christ, that family. But when we use the term church, historically and theologically, that word church means a called out assembly and it implies locality. And so whenever we use the term church in the Bible, particularly like the church of Ephesus or the church of Philippi or the church of Colossae or the church of Galatia or the church of Corinth or whatever those churches might be, we look at an actual body of people. Not some sort of perspective body that someday when we're in heaven we'll all be together. But it's the idea the church is a local body. It's people that come together who are accountable to each other and who are covenanted together over the Word of God. And we understand that Christ is the head of this church. He is the chief shepherd, as Peter says in First Peter 5. He is the shepherd of this church. That's why before we want to cause any damage or problems or hardship to a church, we need to consider who the shepherd is. Now, if you think of it as me or some other leader in the church or somebody, we call it, well, that's his church or that's her church. or that We've we got to remember that it's Christ's church. And so we want to be careful in how we talk about the church, how we propagate the church, how we think about it when we say church. And what we believe as Grace Bible is that Christ is the head of this body. He is our head. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad to be a part of a church where Christ is the leader? He's the chief shepherd. And that's what, that is in, indeed the case. The second thing is that the church is joined together. It's joined together. We see the first part of verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. The idea first is that we are as a church a group of people that have come together. And I think we have a slide for these uh, these notes, if you want to find those. okay. Um, and uh, just so you can have those to write down, because I know some of you are like, I want to write these down, but i got to see them. All right? So we want to make sure you, you see those. Uh, but he is the, the, the church is an, is an association of people that have come together who have been given certain gifts, certain abilities, certain that we come together 
to worship God, to strengthen each other, and then to go out and present the gospel to a lost world. We are joined together. We're not joined together as this clique and that clique and this group and that group or this age group. And that's what we have to be careful even in a church that has graded ministries where we have children's ministries and teenage ministries and college age ministries and adult ministries and all these different things that we have. We want to provide ministries that deal with certain needs in certain areas, but we want to always keep in mind that the church is a joint effort. We are all coming together to serve the Lord. And then it says that each member supplies to the church. Each of us gives to the church three things. Time, talent, and treasure. We give our time as we worship the Lord and we prioritize His Word. Just as we, we are sincere in the giving of our tithes and our offerings, we need to be that sincere in the giving of our time. Just as the Lord is worthy of our best and our first in our finances, it's also what we need when it comes to the, the, the time element, putting God, His church, first. Now, that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean that we take everything, every responsibility in our life and devalue it so that we can meet together as a church. But what it means is that we as a family, as people that have families, that our families revolve around the ministry, involve themselves with the ministry, and make this ministry a part of their family. My, I've shared it times my parents were were saved when I was 18 months old my my oldest sister she was a uh, uh, five five and a half I guess when she uh, when she came uh, when we were in the church and when my youngest sister was born in 1968 which she turned 50 this year I gave my baby sister a you know really hard time about turning 50 and she's able to turn it around and remind me that I'm older than her. Okay, so it's not a good thing. But anyway, I, when she was born, my oldest sister said, my mom told me this, she said, uh, Laura is a Christian baby. She's the Christian baby. And of course, time showed that that was absolutely a lie. She was not, no, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. <laughs> no, what she was saying is that she's the first baby that as we were a part of the church. My parents were not, we, we, you know, they were not part of full-time ministry. They were not uh, called at that time. My dad didn't feel the call to preach. He was a firefighter in the city of Springfield, Missouri. My mom worked odd jobs, a garment factory, did sewing and all those kind of things. And that was our family. We went to church and church was important because we wanted to fellowship with other believers. They wanted to grow in their faith in the Word of God. And Dad wanted to learn and become a, uh, the information of God's Word so that he could use that to make wise decisions so that he could share the gospel with other people. So church was very important to our family. And at that time, we had Sunday school, and we had Sunday worship, and we had Sunday night worship, and we had Wednesday night, and we had visitation on Thursday night. We were at the church every time the door was open. I know that that's not always the standard. That that's not always what we can do or should do, necessarily. There have been times throughout my ministry, well, being in part of church, that allows me to be as, part of, as, as much involved in the church ministry as anyone. But there are times when you have to deal with certain responsibilities in your life that the Lord would have you to, to, to tend to. And some people work and are not able to be there. And that's why this sermon is not a guilt sermon. I don't want that. But what I do want you to do is to, is, is to see the profoundness of God's church. And that in your heart, that you, are, you want to be a part of what God is doing through His church. And understand that there is one institution in the Bible that Christ bought with His blood. And that's the church. And so I want to encourage you to make church, in your heart and mind, a treasure. That you make this an important thing to be a part of. An important place to be. Understanding its value to God, therefore its value to you. But each of us brings and supplies to the church our gifts, our abilities, and talents. And when you're not involved, 
the church suffers. It's like when uh, you, you know when you get part of your body, or, or so you go to the dentist and you get Novocaine put in, or some sort of a shot, and it numbs. And the body doesn't function well, and you start biting your lip, and and then when it wears off, it hurts. Well, the church, when it doesn't have that supply, doesn't have your resource, doesn't have your gift and your involvement and your prayer and your love manifested in the church, the church is going to lack. And that's why it's important that for the, for the sake of Jesus Christ and His church, that we make this a priority about Him. And then fourthly, the church herself is what gives growth and edification. The end of verse 16, it says, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We are to grow spiritually. In the same way that we grow physically. Not in the same way in the sense one is physical and one spiritual, but in that time that we grow physically, we grow as our body is set to a certain uh, DNA plan, a formula, that we begin to grow and we begin to fulfill that spiritually as we begin to read God's Word and we're filled with His Spirit and we lend ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, what happens is He begins to shape us and form us and grow us, encourage us, and use us. And that's what we want to do is to put ourselves in a place where this self-governing church can be, that people can be ministered to and to minister. And that's what we want. Now, here's a few things about the autonomy of the church. First of all is understanding. Number one is that the church is under the authority of Christ. Church is under the authority of Christ. We see His authority as the head in verse 15. Secondly is that His authority is demonstrated. Now, we don't have to necessarily turn there, but Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1 all the way through chapter 3 verse 22, the book of Revelation was written to seven churches in Asia Minor. And each of those churches, we have Jesus Christ, who is the judge, looking at those churches and speaking to those churches and challenging those churches and in some cases, bringing condemnation to those churches. And so we understand that He has the authority in this church. And it's demonstrated in the fact that the Lord knows what's going on in His church. God knows what's going on. And as a result of those things, that we need to realize that if that's the case, that we are here to please Him and to serve Him. And so He is essentially, he is, in every way, is the authority. Then thirdly, the next thing, is that the church follows Christ's teaching. Not our own teaching. Not our own ideas, not our own philosophies, not our own traditions, not our own outlook on life, not our chicken broth for the soul or whatever it's called. It's the Word of God. Now, I want you to look, look with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Look at verse 15. Jesus is speaking. And he says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, what's he saying here? First of all, it's the idea that he is teaching. And what he's teaching is this, how to handle conflict. How to handle conflict. How many of you have ever handled conflict the wrong way? Raise your hand. Okay, every single one of us at one point has. 
Either our emotions have crept up and have taken away our thoughts. And I have done that where I just knew I was right and I was so right that I didn't have to excuse myself for acting wrong until the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I realized, uh, yes, I do. But what he says here is that if there's a problem between two believers, that the person who feels the conviction goes to the brother who's been offended. And in that conversation, the hope is, the prayer is, that between those two members of this church, that they can sort it out, work it through, and gain each other as brother or sister. So the first step is to go to that person, not all these other people. You know, I, I just, I, I just, I have a prayer request for you. I, I want you to pray about this wicked heathen person I'm going to go talk to. What's their name? And then you give them the name. Oh, the pastor? Really? You know, uh, you know, so it's not that. It's the idea of saying, I'm going to go meet with that person because I love them, I care about them, and I love Jesus. And I'm going to do things the way He would have me to do it. It's His teaching. And so it's the idea, again, that His Word is followed. That Christ is the authority. Then He says, if in verse 16, if He'll not hear, then take with you one or two more. Now the idea is here is that if you go to that person and that person will not hear it, and they don't want to work it out, then there's a division there that is going to cause the utmost problem in both lives as well as the ministry of the church. And what Jesus is saying is at all costs, this needs to be dealt with. This needs to be corrected. This, this gap in fellowship needs to be bridged. And so if it doesn't happen in personal, then you need to take someone with you who's spiritual. The idea, the implication is that they're spiritual. Because if you, if you put this with Galatians 6.1, you understand that they who are spiritual are involved in, re in restoration. And when that person comes and sits down, that in the midst of those two or three, that they are representing Christ, that that person will submit, will come to the realization that they have done wrong. Now, I've seen this done. I don't know if you've seen this done in churches. And there are right ways to do this and there are wrong ways to do this. The right way to do it is exactly the way Jesus said to do it. The wrong way to do it is the first thing you do is make it public. You know, I just, uh, you know, I just want you to know that there are some problems here and these are the problems that we have and we need to deal with this. And as a matter of fact, we're going to kick that person out until they come back and make it right. I've seen churches do that. That is not right. That's not biblical. That's not what Jesus said to do. By the way, that's not what Paul said to do as he's following Christ's teaching. What we do is to deal with it personally. If it's a personal, private thing, we deal with it personally and private. If it's something that's going to become public or something that is public, then we deal with it publicly. But we deal with it with grace, love, and compassion. Number one, for Jesus. And secondly, for our brother or sister in Christ. And thirdly, for that lost person who may be looking in seeing how we do this. And so he says we go and we establish that. By the way, that is the criteria and that is the meaning of where two or three are gathered in my name. A lot of times we apply that Scripture when we have low attendance. Ah, we don't have very many people here, but where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. You know, and that may not be, that's not the verse to use for that because maybe even Jesus didn't show up that day. I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. But where one person's here, Jesus is here. Don't have to have two or three. When I'm here by myself walking through the building, I know Jesus is here. So it's not that. It's talking about confrontation. Dealing with issues and matters. To bring that person back into fellowship with the Lord. To help them walk in their faith. When he says, then when they hear them, then they can be, the words will be established and their faith will be established. But then it says that if they don't hear the church, if they, or, or, I'm sorry, if they don't hear them, then it is to go before the church. Because the idea is they are, they are now rebellion, rebellious, that it is going to be something that is going to affect the church. And what we need to do as a church is to be able to pray for them. And in this particular case is their denied fellowship. 
The reason why, because the issue they have is not with that person anymore. It's with God Himself. And what they are harboring in their heart and the bitterness that they have in their heart is going to affect the church. It's going to affect you and me. It's going to affect our family and our children because they're going to bring their bitterness here. So it goes before the church. Now there are different ways that the church has handled this. I have seen churches, and I've been a part of this, where we've had someone that has sinned grievously that we've confronted and they've continued in the sin. And so it was brought finally before the church. And then people said, you know what? That's wrong. You shouldn't bring that before the church. You, you, you should go to that person and make it right. And I said, we, we did. Well, then you should make two or three. We, we did. Well, then it shouldn't be you go to the church. Well, you know, you got two out of three right. We've got to do the third one. And what that is, is not that we present it, that we are trying to disfellowship someone or excommunicate them in some way. But that in, tru- in truth, we want to see them come back to faith. Come back to the truth. That they get those things right in their life. Because we love them. We have a responsibility to each other. And Jesus said, this is what you do. But what if they say no to the church? Then he goes on to say, then they are seen as a heathen and tax collector. I mean, ain't nothing worse than a tax collector, is it? Particularly this time of year, right? Now the truth is that it's the idea that a heathen is a lost person. And the idea is that if a person is not willing to heed the Holy Spirit, and he's not willing to repent of his sin or her sin, then the idea here is that then they have to face the consequences as someone who doesn't believe in God. Someone that doesn't heed the Holy Spirit. That doesn't believe in the Bible. That doesn't have any responsibility or care for for the body of Christ. Now this is something that should not be done regularly. It shouldn't have to be done regularly. But it's something Jesus said that we need to do. Now, there are some churches, and the reason I bring this up, there are some churches that do not hold to the autonomy of the local church. So what they do is they bring people in from the denomination who seek to sort through all the problems and the crises in the church. We should, as Jesus said, as a church, handle these matters spiritually to do what's right in them. The Bible says that the church is assembled, that it has the responsibility to act, and it, is to, it has the authority it's what two or three are gathered, has God's Christ's authority to deal with these problems in their life. So the goal is for every Christian is to very simply be humble, to heed the Word, to repent of our sins, and to be quick to make reconciliation with others. Not so that we don't get kicked out, but so that we please the Lord. So that we're in fellowship with God. And so that we live out and we can manifest and we can demonstrate our Christianity. That this is Christ's life. And this is what we should do. The next thing is that the church is demonstrated, the autonomy of the local church is demonstrated in apostolic practice. Now what is that apostolic practice? I want to put that in there because I want to, to make you really understand the, the great depth of my education. All right, And that just sounds so... Apostolic practice. It just sounds so good. It just means that when we see how the apostles did things, we realize that we are to do those things too. And we see this in Acts chapter 6. Let's look at Acts chapter 6. We've kind of gone through this a few months ago. But it's the idea, first of all, that the church organizes itself. The church organizes itself. And we organize, first of all, by how the Bible would have us to organize one thing we're going to find out about these distinctives. Every one of these distinctives are biblical. They're thoroughly biblical. and They're very laid out very plainly in Scripture. And so we believe that as a church, there are certain things we are organized to do. It says in, in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, but in those days, a number of the disciples were multiplying. There rose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. As they were giving out food, as they were meeting needs, there were a certain part of the congregation that was getting looked over. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and 
said, by the way, the multitude of disciples is the church. And they said, it is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. It organized itself. They had a need. And by the way, it wasn't a need that they were resentful of. They're going to complain about that. Sometimes we feel that way. But they didn't. They saw that, hey, if we've neglected something, we need to not neglect that. And by the way, every church, even the early church, that was very full of the Holy Spirit, neglected things from time to time. There are times that we overlook things, and the Lord reminds us. Sometimes people will bring to our memory, our thoughts, these things. And, that's, and we hope that it's not the, uh, the complaint that we see in verse 1. The old King James says murmuring. There's a murmuring. We hope that's not the case. But in every case, there's going to be some area that we have to be humble enough to say, we haven't hit that mark. We need to go back and make that right. So what they did is they called the church together, and as a church, as a local body, they determined what to do. And that was to have those that were called to meet those needs of those that had need. So that the leaders could still continue to give themselves to the Word of God and prayer. By the way, there are a lot of people in the church that believe that, that the, the Word of God and prayer is, just doesn't raise to a level of true importance. I mean, there's more. it's more important that you do this. It's more important that you do that. It's more important that we do this as a church and all that. And, and great, the, the teaching and preaching is good. And yeah, I'm glad you pray. I mean, we've got to have a pastor that prays at least. But what he's saying here is that this is the most important thing, so much so that if doing the right thing means that we have to leave this or even put it back a little bit or dial it back, it's not worth it. So we need to call out people. And by the way, it's important to note that the group of people in the church that was being overlooked were Grecian Jews, Hellenists. And it's interesting that the names of each of the men called to be deacons or servants of the church are Greek names, every one of them. And I think it's important that they found people who would meet those particular needs in the church. And by the way, when we think of the needs the church in this particular case, it was that their physical needs were met. Now, when I was in, before I came here, we were in our ministry at First Baptist in Milford. Ohio. And while I was there, I served as a deacon. And I remember trying to work all of the responsibilities I had as a deacon in my 40-hour week job plus overtime, plus raising my kids, plus doing all these things. And I just didn't have a whole lot of time. But I remember a lady calling me out of the blue who had got my name from the chairman of the deacons. And she called me and she says, I have something I need done. I said, no problem. What is it you have, what would you have me to do? She says, I need my uh, gutters cleaned out. Now I thought to myself, okay. By the way, I thought this about a half a second, okay? I thought, hey, I've pastored churches. I have built churches. I have been in ministry. I have done missions work. I have done this. I have done that. I have all this, you know, all this stuff. She wants me to come over and empty her gutters. Yes, ma'am, I'd be glad to do that. And I did. And halfway through doing it, I first of all felt conviction that my pride was a problem. But second, to realize that that ministry meant so much to her that it enabled her to appreciate what the church could do, with, do for her on a practical level. And that's what was happening in this church. So I got to serve in that capacity. 
of, of men who are full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I thank the Lord that we have deacons in our church that are full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They're good men. They're good men. And they're men that you can count on. They're men you can pray for and men that pray for you. And we thank the Lord for that. Particularly pray for one of our deacons. He's in Arizona getting sun. So, But it organized itself. Secondly, is it propagated itself. Propagated itself. Look in Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Now, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had uh, been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, uh, I want you to go to verse 23. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 23. It says, so, uh, again, the church of Antioch, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, what we see in the Bible, and by the way, there are things that are descriptive, there are some things that are prescriptive. Descriptive things, usually we see where certain things are done, but then later in Scripture, something else is done. So we know that's what they did here, but not necessarily here. So that doesn't mean that we have to do that. But there are some things that are prescriptive, and that means that what it says is what we need to do. And one of the things that we need to, be, to see is how the church functioned in Scripture. And one thing we know about the church in Scripture is that it was independent, that it had certain distinctives, and it functioned and governed itself and organized itself and propagated the gospel of its own power. Now, we do see churches where elders and churches, there begin churches that begin partnering with each other, been cooperating with each other so that more people could get out, more resources could be made, and that's what we do to this day. But when someone is ordained to ministry, or someone who is called and placed in a particular position, prayer and fasting and laying on of hands is done by the local body. The people that know them. People that care about them. I know there are some that do this in seminary. They go to seminary or they go to Bible college, or they are part of some organization, and that organization ordains them. The only problem that in the Scriptures, just like baptism is only done for those who are believers, ordination is only done for, from local churches. That's all we see. So that puts our church at a very, have a very important responsibility. We are self-governing. We're autonomous. And then the church defended itself. It defended itself. Look at chapter 15. Look at verse 1. It says, And certain men, came, uh, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, if you don't keep the law, you can't have grace. By the way, that's so contradictory. It's not funny. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, that's, that's another way. No small means they had lots of problems with this. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the, con the, the conversion of the Gentiles. They caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem... They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. In other words, they went up to, to make this doctrine square away, to square this doctrine away and say, no, it's of grace. Some people live this way, though. They believe this. We accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but we must live within the will of God or God's grace will not abound. 
In this particular case, it was the, uh, the, the practice of circumcision. They had to go through the Judas, uh, Juda, Judaism, the Judaistic practices, in order for them to experience the grace of God because Jerusalem was a Jewish church. So those people that were Jewish then became Christians. So when we reach people for Christ, then they have to go through the Jewish way and then they get saved and become part of the Christian way. Sometimes you see that in churches where certain people came out of certain things and they hold others to that same standard or that same coming to Christ. And, and that was not a small thing. Paul and Barnabas had a problem with that. But as they were going, they went out as missionaries propagating the gospel and many Gentiles came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And great joy came as a, as a response to that. So the apostles demonstrated their organization. They demonstrated their propagation and their defense of the gospel itself. And then fifthly, the church has its own responsibilities. Its responsibilities, first of all, to include people. To include people. What we want to do is to be an inclusive body. That means that whatever it takes for someone to be a member of this church, we should be willing to do that. You say, well, that sounds a little... Mm. Well, let me explain. Whatever it takes from God's perspective. A person must be saved. A person must follow obedience of baptism. A person must commit themselves to growth in Christ. That they strive to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That if there is sin and there's evil wickedness in that, that they work to repent of that, confess it, to put it off. And if there's people that are out of God's will, we seek to get them and bring them into God's will. If there are pe people in wicked sin, we seek to reach them to a place where they repent and they can come and become a part of what God is doing. What hope does a person have if they do not have a church that loves them and cares about them. And that's what we want. We want to go for them. We want to seek them. Jesus said that His ministry, that His mission was to seek and to save those who are lost. That should be our goal. To seek and to save those who are lost. To do whatever we can. To bring that lost person. To bring them into the will of God. Into the light. So that they can serve the Lord and fulfill God's plan for their life. We are to include. But then, there's times that we have to exclude. That inclusive church can become exclusive. If a person determines in themselves that they no longer follow the Word of God. There have been times that we've had people in our churches that as they've grown, they've gotten a hold of the, the spirit of the age, the attitude of the world. And rather than allow that attitude to take its hold in our church, we want to make sure that their hearts are changed. But sometimes there's a person that comes into the church, they grow up in the church, and what happens, they begin to listen to voices around them, and they begin to bring those messages in the church, then we have to deal with those. And if a person will not change their heart and mind to be in line with God's Word, then as I mentioned what Jesus said, then we have to discipline spiritually. So there's a church takes responsibility to bring people. We also take the responsibility to expel people if necessary. And by the way, that's last resort. That's last resort. That's not what we... We don't say, okay, yeah, everybody's got to... You know, better be on your toes because I don't want to get kicked out. I don't want to get framed. I don't want to get... you know, yelled. No, that's not what we're... We're not a cult. It's not a cult. It's the body of Christ. And we want to represent Jesus in the right way. And then the church is the place that the ordinances are to be observed. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. They came together for worship and to break bread. That's important that we do this. 
1 Corinthians 11, 2. Now I praise you before, uh, because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Those are the ordinances that Jesus Christ gives us to follow. Two ordinances, which we're, by the way, that's one of the distinctives we're going to go into. Because there's actually, in my background, I've been a part of churches and ministries that believe there are three ordinances of the church. You say, three? Oh, foot washing. No? There are churches that do that, though. They believe that there is that we take uh, break bread, and that uh, foot washing is part of that, as well as baptism. The only problem is, is that we see a distinction when it comes to that part of the serving of the disciples as opposed to the, to the uh, breaking of the bread. No, I've been a part of ministries that believe that worshiping on Sunday was an ordinance. It had to be on Sunday. Now, I believe it should be on Sunday. I believe this is the Lord's day. This is the day that signifies the resurrection of Jesus. And when it's Sunday morning, where I need to be. I have no problem with that. But there's not a place where Jesus specifically says on that red number on the calendar, you're to be in church. Now, what I'm saying, that doesn't mean that that's not something we do. But there are many practices. There are many things in the Bible that God says to do. There are two things that as a believer need to be done regularly, continually, without ever discontinuing. And that is that when a believer comes to Jesus Christ, that they're scripturally baptized. And second is that those baptized believers break bread and partake of the, the, the communion, the Lord's table, until He comes. And those are the ordinances that we continue with. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where the church of Corinth was messing all that up. They weren't doing what they should do. They were failing and they were sinning in that. And he corrected them in that. He didn't say, well, you guys have got it all messed up. Don't do it anymore. Don't, don't do those ordinances. You don't know how to do them. No, he corrected them on how to do them so that they would do them right. And then last of all, the church conducts its own business. It administrates its own finances. It controls its own public meetings. It receives its own members. It recommends people to other churches. Now, that's important. That not just do we bring people in, but that if people leave to go to other churches, and those people leave in sin, we have a responsibility to other churches to communicate that so that they can grow in that. Years ago, I had a man that worked for me. Um, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't paid. He was volunteer, but he was our youth leader, one of the youth leaders. And he left the ministry. He left the church. And as he left, he left without talking to people, without explaining. He just dropped his responsibilities and ran. And we found out on the news <laughs> why. And it was not a good thing. Well, I had his church send me a letter. They were going to hire him as their youth leader. Now, I had a responsibility. Not only to my church, knowing that my church is the body of Christ, but that that church is also the body of Christ. And so I had a responsibility as a leader in our own church that I would communicate that in the way that I should. So I called the pastor. And I talked to him, and he said, could you give him a, a letter of recommendation? I said, no, the only letter I could give is a letter of reservation. And he said, what's the problem? And I explained the problem. He says, all right, thank you. Thank you very much. He called that guy in. He talked to that guy, and that guy called me. And he wasn't angry, and he wasn't mad. He was repentant. And he said, I'm sorry. He said, I really have gotten things right with the Lord, but one thing I hadn't done is I hadn't come back and made things right with our church. And I said, no, you haven't. So we don't know your character. We don't know the, what's going on in your life. We don't know those changes. So we can't give you a recommendation. 
as a church body, we have responsibility of our members that if people leave, that we're able to give them a good recommendation. See, there are people that leave churches not for bad reasons. We left First Baptist of Milford back in 2013 for a good reason, I think. You might question that, but that was a, a, our thing. And we were able to, to, to receive a letter of recommendation from that ministry and from that church. Uh, when our children went to college, there's the campus church that they're a part of. We, we, the letter of recommendation we were able to give them. Except a couple of spankings I had to give them back when they were like six or seven years old. But other than that, good recommendation. And so what we want to do as a church is to realize that we have a responsibility to not just take members in and disciple members and to teach members, but that as they go out, that we take responsibility as they find place to worship. There's times, time, uh, certain times that I've heard of people leaving and have joined other churches from my ministry. As long as they didn't leave in sin and that they joined a church with the desire to worship the Lord and serve the Lord in that body and that the church that they are joining is a church of like faith, then I have no problem. No problem at all. I had I, one time we had a member leave our church and I got a letter from a church they were joining and that church taught false doctrine. And so I wrote a letter back to that church and I said, I cannot recommend any of my members to your church. I mean, we'll take her off of the, the we'll take her off of the uh, the role. She can become part of the church. She's free to do whatever you know she wants to do. But know this that we do not believe that your church teaches the truth. And I gave three reasons, three doctrinal stands that they took that we took exception with. And I got a call from that pastor. He said, I have never gotten a letter from any church condemning what we believe. And I says, I can't answer for anybody else. But, but sir, this is what we believe the Bible teaches. And this is what we teach. And if one of our members leaves that teaching, then it's our heart and our belief that they're leaving biblical teaching to become part of something that's not biblical. And I don't want my members joining something like that. And after a few words, and, you know, as pastors, we were affable in our leaving. You know, we didn't call each other heretic and burn each other to the stake or any of that stuff. But we got off and it was pretty short. And I remember that person called me and we had a long conversation. That person did not join that church. I felt that that was my responsibility as a leader of the local body. When you have people that come to you or people that you talk with that are negative about the church, what you need to do is to steer them right in their thinking. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not negative things that happen here or that things people get, uh, that something negative might happen. And I'm not saying say it's positive when it's negative. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's, a, there's counsel you can give people like that. Counsel is first is, I'm sure that they were not doing this to hurt you. And as a pastor of this church, I can assure you that anything that is wrong or has fallen short is not because we were out to hurt you. I can promise you that. And second is that if there is something wrong, maybe you need to go to that pastor or go to the leader and talk to them about this. And either they'll hear it and agree with it and change it, or maybe they can give you a perspective that will help you understand it. I had a guy come to me one time. He said, I, I want to talk to you, pastor. And I said, okay. And after church, we went to my office, and he says, I just want you to know, this is the most legalistic, the most, and by the way, I knew a lot of legalistic churches. I'm thinking, really? You haven't gotten around, buddy. You know, that's what I thought. He said, this is a legalistic church that has no compassion, no love, and no care for its members. You have a set pl plan and program, and if we don't fall into that program, you don't care about us. Well, that was that's some heavy words. And I said, uh, give me some examples. And he gave me, he says, I got one example. That's okay. What's that one example? You wouldn't let me take an offering that Sunday that I came with shorts and flip-flops on. And I said, well, that's true, we didn't. 
And I said, it's not that we don't think you can come to church with shorts and flip-flops on. Nor is it that we think that we're more spiritual than you with shorts and flip-flops on. But I said, but what we, what we want to do, that in, whether it be the offering or on the platform, we want as little distraction as we can get. And I didn't say this, but I want to say your knees are distraction. Your knobby knees are distraction, okay? Didn't say that. And I said it was not about you as a person, not even about your spiritual walk. It was that there are those that were dressed appropriately for that particular thing. Why shouldn't they be able to do that? Why shouldn't they be able to take the offering? Well, they can take the offering, but I think I should too. And I said what we want to do is we want there to be a certain decorum that communicates our love for Jesus, our esteem for Christ, and that we believe that things should be done decently and in order, and that we put our best forward when we're doing something of ministry and service, and we believe taking the offering is that. And so I had that talk with him, and he did, they did leave. They left the ministry. They left the church. But in, the, but in that communication, I was at least able to give him a perspective so that he would realize that we're not hateful toward people. We are not legalistic. That that's not the purpose or what the point of what our particular belief or, or practice is in this particular area. That this is why we do what we do. And that's why we have to be ready to counsel people, not take their side. Not be a, a, a sounding board or flesh but rather we are able to take it and direct them in the Spirit. Direct them to a place where they can realize and understand what, real, what reality is in this situation. 2 Corinthians 3.1 It says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, letters of commendation to you, or letters of combination from you? They gave letters of commendation to other churches and other members. And that's what we, we will tend to do because there is a responsibility that we have. And in our church covenant, at the very end it says that if you leave, the idea is Lansing, this area, and you go to a place that you will unite with the church of like faith. That means that as you come in and sign the church covenant, that you believe and are committed to what we teach and believe. So much so that if you leave to go to a church, you're going to find a church that believes the same thing. Because what that does, that reveals where you stand on these issues. And if you go somewhere that does not have a church, then you and your family be willing to start one. I said, wait a minute. Don't denominations start churches? Yeah. But biblically, churches got started as members left the body. For instance, when persecution hit the church of Jerusalem and the church was dispersed. That was the largest, fastest missions movement in church history. Is that people who had been high priests, who left the, Juda uh, the Judaism and became believers in Jesus Christ and their families, they went to areas to escape the persecution, to escape their death and they got other believers to meet with them and pray with them, study the Word with them, and propagate the Gospel together. And what you are committing as a member of the body is that what we do as a church, you're in it. You believe it. You're with it. And if you go somewhere else, you're going to continue the same spirit and heart of it. Because you know what the church is about. You know what God's Word says about it. You know that it is self-governing and that the members of this church, the members of this body, we have biblical responsibility to organize, to propagate, and to be responsible over the spiritual welfare of the people that meet together here. Now, I believe with all my heart that as this year goes by, that we're going to see people come to know Christ. They're going to join themselves to this church. That we're going to disciple and see them grow in their faith. That they're going to take a seat next to you 
and with their Bible on their lap to begin to grow and to see God work in their life. And what we want to do is to do all we can to help them to grow, to strengthen them in their walk, and to help others to be part of that too. And the first step is understanding that that responsibility to preach the gospel to every creature is the church's responsibility. And if you're a member of the church, it's your responsibility. So what are we going to do with this distinctive? The first one was that we're going to follow the Word of God as the Word of God and stay in it every day and grow in it. The local body is that we esteem it, I love it, that we stand firm on its, its, its purpose and its mission, and that we will commit ourselves as members of this body to do what God would have us to do as a part of Grace Bible Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and the truth that You give us today. And Father, as we study about Your church and the positions that we take on certain things, Lord, we pray that through the Bible we are able to see where those things are true. And Lord, not only will it inform us, but Father, that it will inspire us to be thankful and passionate about what the local church is. That we will love Your church. Lord, I love this church. I believe that the members of this church love this church. But Father, we know more than anything, You love this church. And so, Father, we just pray that You'll have Your will and way and Your strength in this church, that Your Spirit will lead us and guide us and fill us to accomplish the task that You've given us. I pray, Lord, at this time of invitation that You'll speak to our hearts and that we'll make <clears throat> decisions that will be pleasing to You. And Father, we thank You for all You've done. In Jesus' name, Amen.